Welcome to Tiny Histories, the podcast that tells the big stories behind the small things. I'm your host, Daisha Clay. On this show, you're going to hear true stories told by the people that they happen to. Each story revolves around a person, place, or thing. Think of them kind of like historical markers in that person's life. By the way, Tiny Histories is a big endeavor run by a small crew. You can find ways to support the show, and you can find out how to share your own tiny history at tinyhistoriespodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to, rate, and review the show wherever you listen. We all have big moments of realization, those moments where it dawns on us that our long-held notions about ourselves or others or life just don't hold water anymore, and where new ideas of what's possible and true take root. I remember having a moment like that in a grove of redwood trees in Northern California. I'd previously not understood how huge and beautiful the world could be. Mind blown. That's the kind of setting we typically imagine big aha moments to take place in. Generally speaking, the smell of pepperoni is not involved. But in the story you're about to hear from Jess Clark, the smell of pizza was very much part of a major moment like this for him. It's a great story, and a great reminder that answers aren't just found on mountaintops or on soul quests. Sometimes, they're right down the street from us, in seemingly mundane places. Uh, So I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which, for a town of roughly 80,000 people, has a pretty significant queer and trans community. Given that, it's odd that at least in my time here, we haven't had a gay bar that's lasted more than a year or so. Instead of a gay bar, queer folks have to find each other in places that don't necessarily wave the rainbow flag. The grocery co-op, the farmer's market, Trader Joe's, basically anywhere you can find some good organic squash, you can find the queers. When I was a teenager, though, I didn't go grocery shopping, and so finding a place where I could be with people like me seemed impossible until I found Backroad Pizza. So Backroad is this two-story pizza place in Midtown, and they serve pizza by the slice with a cornmeal crust that gets absolutely everywhere. This area of town is newish, especially when you take into account the fact that a fair bit of Santa Fe structures go back hundreds of years, and it doesn't have the tan photobi exterior that paints the rest of the city. The building is industrial looking, and it has the signature pizza parlor black and white checkered floor a jukebox with Fleetwood Mac and Queen on it. And as a teenager, going there made me feel like I was in a straight-up big city because it didn't look like anything else in Santa Fe. So Backroad is a queer-owned pizza place, originally owned by two queer folks and now one. And it's like any business where, and especially any business in queer community, where if it's owned by queer folks, queer folks are going to show up. Because instead of having the default setting be, I'm not sure if this is going to be a place that's going to accept me, the default setting turns into, oh yes, this is a place that is meant for me. And of course, that means also hiring queer staff. I can't tell you the number of friends that I've had that have worked at Backroad Pizza. It's like a a coming of age ritual as a queer person in Santa Fe is having your turn to work at Backroad Pizza. At around 15, I realized I like girls and came out to my friends. I was met with a resounding, yeah, we know. I mean, I had been wearing clothes from the boys section since I was eight years old, so most folks figured something was up. I was feeling so excited, but there was something missing. 
The word gay kind of worked. The word lesbian didn't, and I didn't know why. There's this thing that happens when you grow up queer and trans. If you don't have adults in your life who look like what you could imagine your future would look like, it can be really hard to imagine a future for yourself, period. And I didn't have any models for who I could be in the world. Then one day at Backroad Pizza, I see this woman who had short hair and was wearing a motorcycle jacket and combat boots, which was the height of masculinity for me, probably because I grew up in the 90s, and I was blown away. I didn't know you were allowed to do that as an adult woman and figured that one day I would just magically start to look like my mom's friends with their dresses and high heels and makeup. I was so excited to see this person who, in the span of just a few seconds, came to represent so much possibility for my future that I went up to her. Hi, can I ask you a question? Sure, kid. What do you call yourself? And she looked at me kind of confused, but very quickly realized what I was asking. And she said, oh, I'm a butch woman. And I said, thanks, and ran away. That night, I stood in front of the mirror and practiced saying out loud, I'm a butch woman. I'm a butch woman. I couldn't get the woman word out of my mouth and have it feel okay. It was absolutely right for her. It was perfect for her. And she seemed so sure of herself. So why couldn't it be right for me? Months later, while attending a Gay Straight Alliance workshop, I met a transgender man for the first time. I couldn't believe that someone like him existed. I'd only ever heard of transgender women, and only in the context of Ricky Lake and Jerry Springer, their pain being exploited for our entertainment. But here was this guy that looked like a tattooed cross between a lumberjack and a linebacker. You know, the brawny paper towel guy? He looks like that. And I had this incredible flash of what my life could be, followed by a deep disappointment in thinking... Well, if that's what it means to be a transgender man, I'm never going to be that guy. It was like the children's book, Are You My Mother? I was a little queer bird running around and asking strangers, are you my gender? I kept crossing paths with this man, this impossible possibility. He hosted a monthly queer performance night on the postage stamp of a stage that stood in the corner of Backward Pizza. And every time I went, I was struck by how he moved with so much surety. He knew who he was, and he played on our perceptions of him with his cheeky intros and unapologetically sexual readings that made my 16-year-old self seriously blush. And over time, he became so much more than this caricature I had painted in my mind. He wasn't only a muscled, tattooed badass, something that was so out of reach for me. He was sweet and vulnerable in that special way that queer and trans folks are when we're in a place that feels safe. I lingered after the shows and stopped by his table, trying to play it cool, but not knowing how. The show was, you know, cool and stuff or whatever. And he was always so kind, likely recognizing something that I couldn't yet. And with every interaction, the vision of a future where I could be sure of myself and surrounded by community got clearer. The possibility of me shifted from something entirely unfathomable to a not-quite-realized reality. I moved away from Santa Fe for some years, and after returning, I needed to find queer community. Backroad, once again, became my go-to for when I wanted to feel at home. And as an adult, I was no longer a spectator looking in and hoping to spot a glimpse of my future. I was a participant. A somewhat grown, now fully realized transgender man who stood on that postage stamp of a stage and performed in a drag troupe, danced on the black and white checkered floor to queer electropop bands went on first dates of varying awkwardness and twice watched election coverage that ended in an uproar of applause as cookies iced with the signature O were passed around. 
I've been eating cornmeal crust pizza next to the same jukebox for over 15 years. And these days, Backroad's the place that I take my four-year-old when it's her turn to choose our dinner. I'd tell her the story of the time Papa stood on the stage wearing a neon green onesie and performed a tooth fairy act to the song With or Without You. She's kind and nods along in that not particularly interested in anything that isn't Daniel Tiger way. And I think about how this place helped me carve out this very future for myself. This moment where I get to exist as a happy, queer, and trans person while enjoying a slice with my kid. Backroad was regularly frequented by queer and trans adults who were living their happy, queer, and trans lives, which growing up with media in the 90s, such as it was, there weren't a whole lot of representations of happy, queer, and trans adults living happy, queer, and trans lives. And so to see that in the real world and have this place where people gathered meant that I didn't have to believe that I was going to have a tragic future. I got to believe, I got to imagine a future where I, where I was surrounded by community, where I was surrounded by people who got me, at least in this one little way. It's like I've grown with it, or it's grown with me, or um, Backroad has become a different place to me, not because it's changed, but because I have. I'm trying to think of, of how to say it. It's So, you know, you get that, you get that perfect sweater that, that works in so many different occasions. It's your dress-up sweater. It's your dress-down sweater. It is the sweater you wear when you need to feel really cozy and held. And it's also the sweater you wear when you want to look fancy. The sweater doesn't change, but you change while wearing it. You feel different depending on when you're wearing it. And that's like back road. So when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, it was this place of hope and possibility for me. But I was kind of an outsider looking in and felt a part of it, but at the periphery. And then as a young adult, it became me very much as a participant. I wasn't looking in anymore. I was in it. And now that I have a kid and my life has changed, I'm no longer going there to party. Um, I'm no longer going there for, for dance parties. But because it holds all of those memories... Every time I'm there, even having a slice with my kid or for a kid's birthday party, it, it feels like home no matter what um, and, and means something different depending on where I'm at, where it hasn't changed almost at all. Many thanks to Jess Clark for telling his story. If you want to hear more from Jess... Check him out on the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, where he's a regular contributor. I particularly recommend the Seeing Red and the Monster Myth episode. And check out Solus Crisis Treatment Center, where Jess has been working to prevent sexual violence for over a decade. Their website is findsolus.org. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Tiny Histories. We hope it got you thinking about your own stories, and if it did, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us your story at tinyhistoriespodcast.com And uh, if you do, we might just hit you up to share your story on the podcast or in the Tiny Newsletter. You can find a link to the Tiny Newsletter, show notes and photos of our storytellers, ways to engage with us, and ways to support the show at tinyhistoriespodcast.com. Tiny Histories is written, hosted, and produced by me, Daisha Clay. Our theme music is by the inimitable Nat Evans. To find out more about Nat, go to natevansmusic.com. 
Tiny Histories is a production of Pillow Fort Studios.